And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Having shared 12 Ballon d'Ors, two players having defined an era, the Qatar World Cup offers a final chance at glory for both Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo on the international stage. I'm Mark Chapman. This is The Athletic Football Podcast. Where one to go on and win it, it would maybe in their own heads and maybe for other people as well, lift them above their, their personal rival at the end of their careers. Lionel Messi finding Higuain, and Messi takes it up again, and he dances away, and he scores! Lionel Messi! Messi is an alien. He's different. He's not normal. It's Ronaldo. He wants to write his own final chapter, this glorious final chapter where he has a successful World Cup, but he's not the only person who can write that. So joining us to discuss whether or not uh, Messi or Ronaldo can finally get their hands on the World Cup, we have Carl Anker, Andy Mitten and our Spanish football writer, Dermot Corrigan. I mean, I have said it's their final chance. I mean, you know, they they may believe one or one or both of them, Andy, that they might get, <laughs> they might still be going in four years' time. Messi could. I think Cristiano, as we're seeing from his performances, are less likely. And also, the Portuguese team is full of much bigger names than the Argentina team. There's a lot of stars there. I mean, I know you could fill the Portuguese national team with players who play for Wolverhampton Wanderers, but aside from them, there's still a lot of talent there. But Messi's a couple of years younger. The Argentina team is built around him, but it's improbable. He said he's going to reconsider and consider his future after the tournament. And I wouldn't be surprised if he stepped back with Cristiano. I don't know whether there'd be an announcement there. Do you think, Dermot, We'll talk about them as individuals in a minute and what they may be thinking. But for football, for their place in history, whatever it may be, do you think it's important that either one of them ends their career with a World Cup winner's medal? It would lift them onto an even higher platform than they are already. I guess Messi has always been uh, compared to Maradona all the way along. Uh, And in Argentina, then that was a big kind of problem that that he had, that he hadn't done it for them the way that Maradona did in 1986 for, for Argentina. Winning the Copa America a couple of years ago took away some of that. You could see how emotional they were, how just how huge it was for for Messi himself and for everyone in Argentina to win that. But the World Cup is still there. And, and similarly with, with Cristiano, to, to win the Euros was was huge for them to, to bring, even though he, you know, his contribution to the final wasn't great. Um, but for Portugal to win the, the Euros, for him to, to lift it was massive. But still the World Cup is above everything else for, for them. And if you are, if you want to be the greatest of all time, which both of them clearly do want to, to see that, then to win the World Cup will be huge. And if one wins it and then the other one doesn't, well, then that's always going to be the thing. Well, Messi won the World Cup, Cristiano didn't manage it or, or vice versa. So I can imagine in their heads, 
you know, often they say that their personal rivalry isn't such a big thing to them, but but it obviously is. So were one to go on and win it, it would maybe in their own heads and maybe for other people as well, lift them above their, their personal rival at the end of their careers. Carl, what's your take on that? Yeah, I agree with them. I think it's the, um, what I call the barbershop arg- argument. So when you're in the barbershop or in a sort of male-dominated space talking about the sport, you could probably argue anything. So I can apply an asterisk to Messi's Copper America and say, oh, I know it's during the COVID season, blah, 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 blah. Or I could apply an asterisk to Cristiano Ronaldo's Euro 2016 and say, oh, well, he got injured XYZ in the final, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I suppose the World Cup is important to remove said asterisks, to make that argument more more definitive. I think for both of those players, you can make an argument for them being one of the best players alive of all time without even winning a World Cup because the argument then becomes the case of, well, the Champions League is more important than the World Cup because the Champions League is where all the talent around the world goes to play. XYZ, XYZ, XYZ. Um, but I think for both of them, especially, I think perhaps maybe more Messi because of the Argentina and the Maradona links, um, he... he he strikes me as someone who has a little bit more of a classical view and does want to win the World Cup, just to make completely sure. I think that's, I think that's a, a fascinating point on the Champions League. I don't know what Andy or Dermot think about whether, because the Champions League wasn't the Champions League when Maradona was around, for example, at, at Barcelona or Napoli, whether the Champions League might mitigate in some way the fact that they haven't won a World Cup, Andy. Speak to the people in the countries. In Argentina, the World Cup is a huge deal. We've got this European view of it, but speak to people in South America about the World Club Championship, for example. They've got a completely different view, backed up by the numbers who travel to support that tournament compared to European teams. 22,000 Corinthian fans went to Tokyo for the game against Chelsea. 900 Chelsea fans went. And Argentina, I was at the last World Cup in Russia, the Argentinian support was the biggest there. Miles bigger than any European club. The South Americans travel in huge, huge numbers. Last time I interviewed Messi, I got asked to show storyboards from his career to gauge his reaction from different moments. And one which stood out, surprised me over everything else, was winning the Olympics with Argentina. It was a huge deal to him. It was absolutely massive. Him and um, Kun Aguero. So we can talk about Maradona all day long because he played in Argentina if the people in Argentina felt a real sense that he's one of us, you know, he went. He only played five games for Newell's Old Boys, and they absolutely adore him there. Messi's actually from that city. He's from Rosario, and there are very few murals of Lionel Messi around uh, Rosario. So, mm-hmm. to do it for your country is massive in the psyche of the fans who will be there and who will be watching. And of course, who wouldn't want to win the World Cup? You know, it would. Complete his collection, if you like. You know, winning the Copa America was massive for him. Cristiano, as you said, winning the Euros was a huge deal for them. And they're both completionists. They're both collectors. In the, in that interview you did with him, and when you showed him the storyboard for, from the Olympics, is he is he emotional about his country because he has been away from there for for so long? What what his what is his deep connection? Try to get a connection with him as a journalist is difficult. That's why we did the storyboard in the first place. So I long said that the most and least interesting people in football are at the same club, and Xavi Hernandez was the most interesting. So a brighter mind than me said, let's get these beautiful storyboards done. And and it worked, because visually it, it worked. The only other time I felt I've had a I've got a real connection. With, with Messi, it was actually about Argentina. 
And that was after 2007 Copa America in Venezuela. And I've been in the stadium in Maracaibo and they played a very young United States team. And it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. You had 50,000 people there. Argentina full of all our world-class players and this reserve American team. So you feared what was going to happen next. And in the main stand, two American fans, two, because Venezuela and America are not the greatest of friends, stood up and sang their national anthem. I've never seen anything like it. I, I sort of wanted America to win just because of these two fans. And all the Argentina players looked up at the stand and it was incredible. And I mentioned that to him in an interview and he's like, were you there? Did you see it? And to get a, get a reaction like that from Messi, trust yeah. me, is not easy. So there's definitely something there. I think it's deep, deep down. I think he's probably closer to taking his family to live back in Barcelona. Culturally, his children are Catalan, really. They might yeah. speak with an Argentinian accent. His friends in Argentina, his entorno, his, they're Argentinians. And he, he never spoke Catalan, but his children do. But nah, he's... When I see him with his Argentina teammates, there's a really good feeling amongst that team at the moment. They've built it around him, and he's the king, and they all indulge him. But I think he's happy. This isn't Paul Scholes walking away from England because he thinks they're on He absolutely loves his teammates first and foremost. Do you think, Dermot, both of them are affected by the fact that their careers, you know, their peak years were, were with, you know, two Spanish clubs where their teammates were hoovering up a lot of international honours. Do you think that has impacted either of them, both of them, neither of them? Yeah, I'd, I'd say for both of them it was difficult enough. Um, like there was a lot of talk of the, the Spain team that won everything between 2008 and 2012. Was, was A lot of it was based around Iniesta and, and um, Xavi and Pique and Puyol all the teammates of Messi's at Barcelona. So he was going to, to the World Cup in 2010, not having a good time of it, uh, while they were going to the World Cup in 2010, coming back and winning it. And that that pushed them onto another level ahead of Messi, whereas everything else, Messi was was the king, as Andy says. You know, at Barcelona, he was allowed to, team was built around him. He was allowed to do uh, a lot what he wanted. He had a status that, that was above even Xavi and Iniesta, but they had won the World Cup, which... He, you know, had bad memories of the World Cup at, at that stage. And similarly for Cristiano. Cristiano doesn't like for, for anybody to have something that he doesn't have, like to, to have a status or a medal or, or something that he doesn't have. And he was in the Madrid dressing room with with Ramos, with Casillas, with even somebody like Arbeloa had international medals when, when Cristiano Ronaldo didn't have international medals. And that they're the type of personalities that they don't like for anybody to have achieved something that they haven't. And the World Cup being the biggest trophy that there is around, it would have been something that they, they had to live with, even for, you know, when you start to do like sponsors events or there, there's commercial things that happen around World Cups. They didn't have that, whereas the Spain team were coming back as World Cup winners. And yeah, I would imagine it, it would have driven both Cristiano and Leo on. You're nodding, Carl. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. We we know the personalities of these players and how they are completionists, as Andy, you've said. And they definitely felt like a time especially the 2010 World Cup for, for Lionel Messi. I have one of the, the photograph of Diego Maradona hugging um, Lionel Messi is one of my big favourite World Cup images. Um, I mean, that was a totally bizarre World Cup from the Argentinian standpoint. Uh, and Portugal never really got quite close in, in those World Cups, which you could often see the frustration in Cristiano Ronaldo's play. He would drop deeper. He would do more of those aggressive stepovers and, and and take more shots from exceedingly long range, as well. So, 
I think that's probably going to lead into some really interesting styles of play from both of them at this World Cup. We know Messi now is a, largely a facilitator for this Argentinian team. I think this is the best squad he's ever had. Whereas Cristiano Ronaldo has become less of a facilitator and is more of a finishing point. You know, he's everything about him now has been honed and harnessed just to to get goals. Which, I mean, he has not had a great season at Manchester United, but will make his job slightly harder. To, to, to integrate with the rest of the Portuguese team. Their international careers, Derma, are quite similar, aren't they? In the sense of, uh, you know, they, they have both, as we, we touched on near the start, they have both won their continent's main competition and, and they have come close but no cigar at various other times, both in, both in World Cups and Copa Americas and Euros. Yeah, in, in a way it should be easier for them international football because... Uh, in club football, um, teams have way more time to prepare. There's generally a, a higher standard. So you, there was maybe a feeling that it should be possible that Cristiano and and Leo should be able to go to their countries, be the leader of the team, everything to, to work around them, and they would be able to find a way to, to win tournaments. But it, for a long time, it, it just wasn't that case at all. And it was even a, a problem for their teams that team, opposition teams were able to shut down Argentina or were able to shut down Portugal. And there was... Maybe they were under too much pressure as well individually, or they weren't able to deal with it. With personally, the coaches were all, all often overshadowed. That Messi was the biggest person in the Argentina setup. Well, apart from Maradona, but then Maradona and that kind of personality clash. I'm not sure how well it worked out, but at, at Portugal as well, you just had to do what Cristiano wanted, and that ended up not being to the benefit of the team. That football is such a team sport that just one player, not like I don't know maybe basketball or another sport where it's possible to for the start to come out. As Carl said as well, there's kind of question marks over their two Euro successes or the Euro and Copa America successes as if they weren't that difficult to win maybe or it wasn't that they did such a big deal to win it. But it just kind of shows maybe how how club football, it, the difference between club and international football it has come true over both their careers. I think international football right now is a less subtle version of club football um, and the international teams that are doing well currently, we've, you know, we had the age of what's been termed sufferable so the Portugal team of 2016 the France team of 2018 where they essentially just killed off 20 minutes per game to keep the ball away from the opposition and maximize set pieces whereas what we saw in Italy when the Euros now we're you know, and I think some of the European sides especially at this World Cup the best teams will be the ones that can integrate some form of club tactics uh, be it via set piece routine or be it via uh, you know that sort of Manchester City goal I'm putting in air quotes which looks like a tap in but relies on loads of off the ball movement uh, we'll co- we'll come on come on to the specific countries at this tournament in, in Portugal and Argentina in just a moment but who who cast the greater shadow over their national squad Ronaldo or Messi Carl I think it's Messi so in my Experience talking to to footballers. I, I did I did a series for in a past life for a different company before the twenty eighteen World Cup. Something I found really interesting was the amount of football players who you ask, you know, who, who's your inspiration, who did you model your game on, um, and those those football players would, would mention the original Ronaldo, they'd mention Ronaldinho, uh, they'd mention Cristiano Ronaldo. No one mes- mentioned Messi, uh, and uh, I had a conversation with John John Mikel, and he said he said you can't you can't model your game on Messi, you can't. He goes, maybe if you, you know, were in the gym for hundreds and hundreds of years, you might end up with a body like Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, but he said, <laughs> Messi, he goes, Messi is an alien. He's different. He's not normal. Um, and I, I felt this in interviews of players who said they love Messi and they think Messi's the best. And you often go, well, have you met Messi? And they always describe, like Andy says, that sort of 
it's very hard to get a connection. It's very hard to get anything more than a, yes, hello, it's nice to meet you out of him. And I think there's been conversation from members of the Argentinian fringe players about how they feel really pressurised because they want to give it to Messi. They want to be the player to give him the trophy he needs to get this Maradona monkey off his back, so to speak. Um, I mean, he's a offside Gonzalo Higuain goal away from this not being a conversation. And Higuain has given words to the effect of, I'm very sorry about that to Messi. Uh, so I think I think that that's a, th- a bit more acute, whereas Ronaldo oddly feels uh, more human, but also, I mean, I'm doing a big old shrug here because we're, we're talking on a Wednesday and apparently he's going to drop something on his other teammates at his club game. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll come on to that when we talk about the, the two countries specifically. Who do, who do you think Dermot casts the bigger... Shadow. By the way, Carl, shouldn't, shouldn't Gonzalo Higuain have apologised to everybody if he's apologising to Messi? I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> I think I think he should have, but I, I think what has always been interesting about Messi's relationship with the Ar- Ar- Argentina players is how many of them, who have won many trophies for their other various leagues, still regard Messi almost as, as a just, uh, just on another plane, whereas a lot of the Portuguese players often... Well, they try and get close to, to Ronaldo, but I think you can you can feel as if you can touch Ronaldo. Where I think quite a few Argentina players feel as if you can't touch Ronaldo, uh, Messi. I remember there's a story of Dani Alves saying he thought Messi was a freak because he he didn't he trained with his shoelaces untied. He's different. Yeah, <laughs> I, like that's what I was going to say. That the difference in them at the minute is that Messi in Argentina, nobody has near his status in the in the club game. Like the guys who are going to be he's going to be playing with are all going to be. You know, they don't have, they're, it'd be easier for them to subjugate their egos to, to Messi's. They're so used to it at this stage and they're going to play for him. Whereas at Portugal, you come to an interesting stage where you have a lot of players who are playing, you know, for their club teams and doing a lot better than Cristiano at the minute. Like obviously Bruno at, at United, Bernardo Silva, Bernardo Silva at City. Through the through the Portugal team, there are guys who are playing for the very top clubs in Europe and used to winning things. Where the Argentina team are still made up of a lot of guys who are at, um, or most of the Argentina team are at, you know, decent teams in, in Europe. Or if they are at the bigger teams, they're not the main man for their team at the big team. And in a way, that makes it easier for Argentina coach because he doesn't have to. Everybody's going to say, okay, we'll we'll do what we need to do for Messi. It's going to be super interesting, I think, to see at Portugal whether Bruno Bernardo Silva in. In public, I'm sure they're going to still be be supportive, but whether you know they think you know if, whether they could do better, whether it's without Ronaldo or without doing everything for Ronaldo, is going to be a huge deal for the the Portugal coach to deal with. Andy, I think in Argentina expectations are, are higher to win the World Cup because they've always been a, a regional power in in South America. It's a big country, 45 million people. Portugal, I think there's always been a sense of realism. The population's 10 million people. There's a lesser partner in Iberia, let alone in Europe. But I think that the Argentina team have got a togetherness that was lacking in the last tournament. They've gone through these past World Cups going in thinking, we're actually clear favourites, we're going to win this. It would be a mistake not not to win this. And I think they're, they're much more humble we see a lot of that word now being banded around, but <laughs> I, I, I do think they are. I think, um, as Dermot says, that they're not full of stars at players like they have been in the past. Um, they came close in the past, but there's a lot more unity now. And I think as well as um, Scaloni, who was part of one of them teams, he was playing in, in 2002. His backroom staff, people like Pablo Emar, 
big names in Argentinian football, really respected people. They help bring that togetherness and Messi buys into it as well. I, I love all them pictures of him having the asados where they're having the barbecues and it's like we're lucky to be playing with him, but actually they, they need to support him and if we could do this for Lino, then then it would be a great thing to um, for, for them uh, to do. So it, it's really interesting. I think his first World Cup probably came too soon for him in 2006. He, he was on the bench in the first game. He was substituting two of the games. The only game he actually started was when Argentina were, were already through the group stage. Um, he didn't go off, off the bench when they went out against Germany. So had that been a year later, he would have been the absolute catalyst. It, it just came like nine months too early for him. But then look look at his stats. Look at his 164 games for Argentina. I think Cristiano's at 191. I can remember being excited when Peter Shilton went through 100, thinking, <laughs> will this ever be beaten? <laughs> These guys have absolutely demolished the statistics. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of podcasts to film. Maybe we'll do a Peter Shilton one over over the course of the uh, over the course of the next month. Um, uh, let's uh, move on then on the Athletic Football Podcast. Next, we'll talk about how things. Good luck trying to work this out. How things could play out in Qatar. Hello there. This upcoming World Cup, what are The Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, I'm James Richardson and every night I'll be hosting a totally football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, The Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. 
With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Yes, I feel betrayed and I felt that some people that don't want me here, not only this year, but last year too. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman and with us Carl Anker, Andy Mitten and Dermot Corrigan. Let me start with you, Carl, here. In everything that's gone on this week with Cristiano Ronaldo, I wonder if the most immediate damage and maybe the biggest damage has actually been done to Portugal going into this and having to deal with it rather than everything back at Manchester United who've got plenty of time to deal with it. It creates an unwanted distraction. There's been a lot of conversation among the Manchester United fan base about uh, a handshake between Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo and national team camp. That has been interpreted by some as Bruno giving him the short shrift. Uh, I believe Bruno's team camp, however you want to phrase it, says it's not it's not a snub. It, it's a reference to, to an inside joke and whatnot. And I think there's been a photograph of Cristiano Ronaldo on an exercise bike next to Diogo Dalla. Dallo, who has always been a very enthusiastic teammate of Ronaldo, looks noticeably muted next to Ronaldo. So if you want to read into it from a United perspective and, and say the, the Portuguese players at United other than Ronaldo are quite annoyed at this, I think you can do that. I think it does create the distraction in that I can imagine Santos will now have to answer questions about Ronaldo in a way that he would not like to and whatnot. And... It's been bubbling up for a while now. So during the last international break, I think it was the first time Portuguese newspapers at least ran on their back pages that maybe they shouldn't start Ronaldo. Because this has not been interviewed. You, you can, even if the interview hadn't occurred and whatnot, hadn't kind of gone right, Cristiano Ronaldo scored three goals in, in Act 1 of this 22-23 season. He looks noticeably slower um, and his ball-dominant tendencies are of a detriment to Manchester United. He, he got, he, rather than occupy the final line that older strikers often do and just say, look, I can't really run as much, so I'm just going to be a wizened old penalty box player, he, he goes running around looking for the ball. Uh, and that has harmed Manchester United a lot in build-up play. It hopefully shouldn't harm Portugal because they've got better midfield players. I think I'm allowed to say that. And Cristiano Ronaldo, they're better at build-up. Uh, and the way Portugal want to play, you know, Santos is a man who doesn't mind winning 1-0. He thinks it's just as good as winning 4-0. So, what not? Um, if Diogo Jota was 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 fit and available, I think that would have added another wrinkle because that would have given Santos a very obvious out and a way to bench Cristiano Ronaldo. But now, you know, they are in this very difficult situation where you've got a, a 37-year-old player who can't run the way he used to, but wants the ball to the same level he used to, who has now also created a, a stir... And, and and a smell in his club game. This interview still hasn't come out in its entirety, so there might be comments about his World Cup plans and his post-World Cup plans in there as well. So uh, I, I suppose if you're a Portuguese player or a Portuguese football fan, that's got no, nothing to do with Manchester United, you're probably anxiously waiting to see what Ronaldo has to say. It's a bit like holding a bomb but not knowing how yeah. long the fuse is. Yeah, there would have been asked questions about Ronaldo, whether he starts, how they're going to use him, whatever the whatever the situation, Andy. 
But this is going to be doubled down on now because of everything that has has gone on. And players, as well as head coach, are going to be having to talk about atmosphere within the camp. If he performs, then it won't be a problem. And Cristiano will use a criticism to motivate himself. He would love to be one of those who said, I told you so. Look what I can do when you play to my strengths. I've just scored two in this game. Uh, this is how Manchester United should be using me. I told you so. I am right once again. And and he, he, he'll motivate himself that way. But if he doesn't perform, and that's pretty realistic possibility, Portugal got a very, very strong squad. So Carl mentioned the 4-0. Actually, their last win was a 4-0 win. <laughs> and, and two Manchester United players did score in that game. Bruno, who's a shoe-in for Portugal, and Diogo Delot. Now, Delot's had a, a good season, but has not been playing for Portugal. But when he did play in that game, he scored twice. Fernandes got the other. Cristiano didn't score. So at some point, a head of steam will gather where the Portuguese media, Portuguese football fans will just make a, a fair judgment and say, he's not doing enough to be playing in the national team. And it will be a big story when it happens. But it's happened to footballers throughout the ages. He wants to write his own final chapter, this glorious final chapter where he has a successful World Cup. But he's not the only person who can write that. He can't control that, just as he can't control how many games he plays for Manchester United when he leaves Manchester United. Footballers often take five or ten years, in my experience, when they finished to say, OK, I got it a bit wrong towards the end. I was a bit of an idiot. Some really bright footballers have said that to me. Yeah, uh, you know, I sat my agent, I got divorced. I and, and it's just their ego struggling to come to terms with the fact that they are not who they once were. And Cristiano could have a great tournament. Equally, Portugal could struggle to get out of the group stage and never play for his country again. Yeah, I, I mean, that... that... You could say that maybe about a lot of countries, couldn't you, Dermot, going into this World Cup? It feels like there's a lot of unknowns about a lot of countries. But, you know, they could go out in the group stages, they could go quite a long way. I mean, they are quite an ageing squad, aren't they, in some areas? Yeah, and they've got a tough group. Like, they've got Ghana first up, Uruguay and South Korea, which is, of all the groups, is maybe the most difficult to, to pick two teams out of it because, you know, on, on any given day, who's going to win between Uruguay and South Korea? Like, it, it's difficult to to say, especially coming into a World Cup, and it could be all over very quickly. And Portugal do have a tendency not to start the tournaments that well. Um, last World Cup, they had that amazing game with Spain in the groups, but they, they kind of struggled through it. Even at the Euros, when they won, they didn't go that well in the group. It just kind of came together for them during the tournament. Say Cristiano scores twice and they beat Ghana in the first game. Suddenly, you know, most of this is forgotten about or at least parked for a while and they can move forward. If they don't win, if Cristiano gets subbed off in the game and Ghana score a late equaliser, you know, all the, the things that can happen within a tournament. Suddenly the pressure com- comes on to the coach. They have to win the next game. He has to start Cristiano in, in that game. And it, it it just could be very difficult for them. I think Argentina's group is easier, which, which makes it, um, or on paper anyway, is easier. They have a more straightforward path through, which means that they can kind of ease into the tournament, that there shouldn't be as much kind of just noise around it. But Portugal, the noise is already pretty big. And if things start to go wrong, it will get a lot bigger. And the Andam, they're in, Argentina are in unbelievable form. Yeah, Argentina, things just seem to have, have kind of clicked for, for them, I guess. Like, looking through their squad, especially in defence, it's not full of... like uh, There's a lot of players that we know from Europe and who have Champions League experience, which is good, but it's not guys who are, you know, going to be linked with 100 million moves or people who are maybe Dybala, Di Maria, people like that, who are used to kind of playing second field to Messi and can can go through it. Um, so, yeah, I, 
for going deep into the tournament, you know, Argentina have a much better chance than Portugal, you would think, at the minute. Andy? I think um, with Cristiano, uh, it's going to come to a head very quickly if he's not performing. The pressure has been building, as Dermot says. Very, very strong uh, squad there. It cannot be the Ronaldo show, which completely dominates everything, because otherwise the manager loses his job. I think you could take a lesson from Eric Ten Hag's book and say performances, results have got to come first before any player. The togetherness of Argentina has been a surprise. I think there's a lot of optimism. I've been speaking to some Argentinian friends. Um, I mentioned Aymar supporting him, Walter Samuel and Roberto Ayala as well. They all go into into that mix. Slightly surprising that Lissandro Martinez, who's been so good for Manchester United, this World Cup might come a little bit too soon for him, but he's got the embodiment of what a lot of Europeans see in an Argentinian footballer. That that fighter spirit that can really help. There's a lot of that in the Argentina team uh, at the moment, but Messi will still be the man on the main stage, at the front, everything uh, built around him. I know Argentina have gone a long time unbeaten. They've only actually played two European teams in that unbeaten run. So I'm not one of these people who says that European teams are best, um, but statistics prove that they are. Equally, that South American group is really, really difficult to get out of because of geographic circumstances as well. If you're going to La Paz and playing at altitude, it's not easy. And, And they came through that, not by winning it, they finished second in it, but coming out of that unbeaten puts them in a really good place. And that might just work in favour of Argentina. You've gone into previous tournaments far more fancied than they are now. But they're in a really good place and the results are good and the form's good. And the final thing, really, Carl, is that is that Messi goes into this with very, very good stats this season for Paris Saint-Germain. I, I mean... You, you can't really compare Cristiano Ronaldo stats because he's not really playing. But, uh, you know, Messi, 12 goals, 14 assists in 19 games for Paris Saint-Germain. So he is going in in, in good nick. In very good nick. It, it, he, he's, he started this act one of, of this season in such good form. Question marks have been raised about another Argentine, uh, Mauricio Potocino, and gone, why, why couldn't you get more out of him? Uh, I will also now raise the other player who is probably in their last World Cup, and that's Neymar. And I think he could be the other variable to both of these men's World Cup. There's a very, very good chance if Argentina were to, to progress deep into this tournament that Argentina will face Brazil at the semi-final stage. And I have Brazilian friends and I have Argentinian friends uh, and they have both expressed to me what that game means and how blood and thunder and chaos it can be and how painful it can be if you lose that one. So... Uh, I wouldn't count, you know, it would be in keeping with all true World Cups in that you, you talk about Messi and Ronaldo all this time and all, lo and behold, it's Neymar who goes and, and grabs it and whatnot, or Mbappe again, or, or Benzema again, because that's what a World Cup does. I think, as Andy said, this is a very good and very well-connected Argentina, Argentina squad. They will have to be at their maximum. Um, there's also a good chance they'll place the Netherlands. They'll face the Netherlands at the quarterfinal stage as well. So this is, there could be a fantastic run of games involving Argentina on the way to a final if they get that far. Portugal, the group is okay. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking as someone from Ghani, of Ghanaian heritage, uh, and I keep going back to a game earlier in the season where Cristiano Ronaldo was through on goal uh, and uh, Mohamed Salusu of Ghana retreated the better part of 25 yards and dispossessed him quite calmly. And I'm going, yes, hopefully that can keep going on from a Ghanaian perspective. 
But I, I imagine Portugal will probably get out of that group with relative ease. I could see them coming second to Uruguay if, if things pan out a different way. But their knockout stage is a little bit kinder. They'll probably have to face one big European team, but I, I don't think they'll have the, the sort of big quarterfinal uh, penciled in there. But also, I, I can also see a scenario where you get to that quarterfinal stage and Cristiano Ronaldo might not be viable because he's only got three goals this season so far. That's a sensational answer, Carl, where you've covered virtually every possibility that that may happen and and also thrown Neymar in as well. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> Sorry if I'm too verbose. <laughs> no, no, no. No, it's very, very complete. Uh, Dermot, you, you look like you were going to come in to add yeah, something before ju- we go. just... On, on what you said about Messi and his PSG form, like moving from Barca, when he was at Barca, every game was hugely important. There was huge pressure on him. Since he's gone to PSG, Argentina has become much more important for him, I think, than than club football. Maybe what comes around to the Champions League, but the league on games like week in, week out, it's all been been kind of planned towards this World Cup for, for Messi and for maybe some of the other players at, at Paris Saint-Germain uh, as well. And that's a huge advantage that he has going into this, whereas in other years, he might have come into it off either winning the the Champions League with Barca or Champions League disappointment at the end of a long season where he's played every game in order to score 60 goals, been a little bit injured. This year, he's been able to take it a, a lot handier. He's been able to, to get everything, his prepara- personal preparation all around the World Cup. And compared to Cristiano's situation at Man United, like it, it's chalk and cheese, really. So from that point of view, the move to PSG could end up working out really well for Messi for, and for Argentina. We will end it there, Carl, Derma, Andy. Thank you very much for comprehensive coverage throughout the World Cup, along with our daily podcast throughout the tournament. Subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months. Theathletic.com slash football pod is where you need to go. See you soon. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.